<laughs> I should really prepare for these. Do you have an intro song? <laughs> yeah, I, I mixed that in afterwards. Oh, but fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. Found some royalty-free music, you know? Ooh, yeah. We're grad oh, yeah. students, man. We're on a budget here, so. I get it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, let's see what I really should prepare for these a lot more. <laughs> like, <laughs> teach some notes or something. Yeah, no, you get it. You get it. All right. Welcome back to PodQuest, the podcast of the Quest Solar Energy Engineering Research Center. I'm Sebastian Hussein, currently on the road traveling between conferences, so unfortunately I'm not joined by Joe Karras today, but the lovely other voice that you will be hearing is PhD candidate at Caltech, David Needle. Uh, maybe I'm saying that last name wrong. Is it Needle? Like Adele? That's or? correct. Yeah, ah, Needle. But Needle. No, okay. Yeah. Common to say Needle. So. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. No relation Solomon. to the. Actual no relation, story. unfortunately. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Or toward yeah. Dell, the computer company. Right. Which okay. for a while I thought there was a conspiracy theory in my yeah. family. Nice. Nice. But no, <laughs> no such luck. Yeah. Unfortunately, we'll have to uh, maybe have you. You know, you can do the outro song for us at the end of the... That's uh, right. That's know, right. And there'll case. be no listeners yeah. after that. <laughs> oh, who are we joking about? Like, there are no listeners anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no one's listening to this. Uh, yeah. Amazing. But, uh, yeah, so David and I just came back from a lovely conference in Hawaii, on the Big Island, actually. Uh, the Photovoltaic Specialist Conference uh, this year was the worldwide one, bringing together everyone from... The Americas, uh, Europe, and Asia. There might be some Antarctic solar researchers. I'm not sure if they made it uh, there at all. But yeah, how how was the trip for you, man? Ah, uh, so fantastic for me. I mean, so the conference itself was awesome, uh, and then like I spent I don't know half a week going out there a little early to travel around, and uh, that part of it was fantastic because if you have a free trip to uh, an all-expense-paid trip, I'd say, to Hawaii, go out there a little early, that is absolutely amazing oh, yeah. to do. So I did a little hiking and okay. snorkeling and surfing and then went to the conference on the Big Island. Very cool. Where'd, uh, where'd you hike around? So on the Big Island, I spent a couple days hiking in the, on the northern part of the island, kind of going down to some more of the you know hidden beaches that you could hike to, which was awesome, camping on the beach. And then I uh, flew to Maui, did some, you know, snorkeling, swam yeah. with the sea turtles, oh, all that jazz. Cool. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, those sea turtles, they come right up to you, it oh, seems. Yeah. yeah, but it's against a lot of touch, <laughs> yeah. which I was really <laughs> paranoid of them getting too close. Right. You have to swim away quickly. You're like, the law says I'm not allowed to touch them, but what if they touch what me? What if they touch you? <laughs> like, it's really confusing. Yeah, <laughs> it's not clear, clear at all. Yeah. Hawaii state government, get on that clarify you need signs in turtle language to yes. tell them do not touch the humans you do yeah. you really do so yeah. first you need a turtle translator right right that's that's another area of research maybe i think yeah. so yeah new phd topic yeah you can uh, approach yeah harry atwater here and see see if he wants to branch out that's from right. photonics to turtle talk turtle tonics yeah turtle tonics. which sounds like a really weird drink yeah. <laughs> you know that it's the turtle tonics <laughs> I, that probably was at the uh, the Lava Lava Beach Club oh, over in oh, Hawaii there, was. right? Yeah, that was the Turtle Tonic. Turtle Tonic, yeah. Lava Flow, right. all the other ones. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, did you get to see any of the, the lava at all there? Uh, yeah, the not island? close. Not okay. close like you did. Yeah. I uh, yeah. just, I, I, I think I was too uh, paranoid from everything my mom and dad told me. Like, yeah. don't go near it. <laughs> I just stayed yeah. on, on the other side of the island. Yeah, it's actually sense. funny. So, you know, we were like 
prepping to go to this conference and then what a month beforehand this volcano erupted and it was terrible because well for a number of reasons because everybody a lot of people lost their homes but the other reason is in the winter in you know december 2017 i was actually uh, my sister i took this huge trip to southeastern asia and one of the places we had on our list to go was bali Mm. and the volcano erupted in bali like you know, a couple of weeks before we were scheduled to go. Really? And so I just, once <laughs> this volcano erupted as well, I was like, wait a minute. Hold on. I, maybe I shouldn't travel anywhere anymore. Because <laughs> yeah. this is a bad omen. <laughs> you know, not. most of the trips that I had planned, the big ones for this year, are just oh, man. ending volcanoes. Yeah. So do you have any plans to go to New Zealand next? And I'm going to read in the <laughs> yeah, news. Yeah, I was like, going to hike Mount Rainier in yeah. the fall, so... <laughs> We you never know. know. All these dormant volcanoes <laughs> becoming active again. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Something what are, that what did are you bad doing, man? Yeah. Karmically. Right. Yeah. Or maybe maybe it's like your diet or something. I don't know. <laughs> putting off. Some, I need to lay off some the weird... hot wings. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Something. Okay. Oh man. Cool. But anyway, so apart yeah. from the adventures on Hawaii, the yeah. conference itself was was very interesting, particularly right. because I've never been to this. The WCPEC is as it is right the world conference yeah yeah so that is the world conference on photovoltaic energy conversion so basically you know as you know a bunch of nerds coming together um and discussing nerd things yeah it's it really gives you a sense for just how small the research community in solar is i never i never realized that yeah this so this was my first world conference i think the uh the last one was in tokyo like four years ago or something um so the last few like North America PVSCs have just been um, not. I, I guess a lot of people do fly in from Europe and Asia to those, but not as many as for the World Conference. But it, it really you start seeing people whose papers you've been reading like the last yeah. couple of years, and it's sort of like red carpet. <laughs> so is there are certain those yeah. like celebrities that you kind of like geek out over and right. like, oh my god <laughs> yeah. Eli Yablonovich is here yeah, yeah. that's oh Martin gosh. Green I've that's been reading that's Martin Green <laughs> I read every solar cell yeah. efficiency table that he's made in the past yeah. 15 years we were at uh, the Materials Research Conference um, now in Phoenix. Previously San Francisco that was a little more fun but hey no shout out to Phoenix I love <laughs> Phoenix of course um, and Martin Green was there as well, and one of uh, my former colleagues, he just graduated back in uh, February, um, he had his poster, he was presenting on uh, the CIGS solar cells, like little thin film stuff, and Martin Green walks up to his poster, he's interested to see the work, mm-hmm. and uh, my colleague <laughs> didn't know who he was, or he knew the name but didn't recognize, because right. we don't see sure. pictures of them and stuff. Nah. And so he starts explaining to Martin like what a solar cell oh, is. <laughs> it's just the that. funniest. I wonder. Oh, I wonder what Mark Green's thoughts were. He probably oh super loved nice. It, right? Oh, like, he's yeah, such a nice guy. All right, yeah. PN Junction. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that we we have a couple photos of that definitely as he's explaining to to Martin. So yeah, we we, we teased him well, about these that. Are special semiconductors. Right. Imagine them like a highway. <laughs> <laughs> Giving water analogies. Yeah, right. That's good. So, uh, yeah, what were some of the... You had a presentation at uh, at this conference? I did. Yeah, yeah, I had one of the the oral presentations there in the Area 1, which was spectral shaping, basically, you know, keeping this in more of a general audience. Mm. Uh, The idea is 
I guess should I just go kind yeah of the sure basics here? let's go for it um, the idea is solar cells need to capture as much of the solar spectrum as they can the caveat to that is there are certain materials that can capture a great deal more of the spectrum but they come at a cost and that cost is they don't have quite as high as what's the the voltage right the open circuit voltage and for you know general audience listeners sure apparently there are none but you know <laughs> um the idea is the hey, voltage, don't assume don't assume that don't i don't assume anything, anything. Man. yeah the voltage is really what drives these you know the electrons that get created away in order to extract them as usable uh, electricity for the for the user uh so the idea is if you can you know, incorporate multiple uh, materials into your solar cell, you're able to acquire a much larger portion of the spectrum as usable current and at higher voltage. So if you use, say, you know, a material that can absorb the really high energy short wavelength photons, like the blue portion of the light, um, that material can absorb that portion and can have high voltage, i.e. The, the, you know, electron hole pair, Maybe I shouldn't say whole, but the electrons that get created are then extracted um, a lot easier. Whereas if you have, you know, a different type of material in combination with that, uh, that can absorb the longer wavelength, lower energy, i.e. kind of the red to near infrared portion of the, sol the solar spectrum, um, you can, you know, absorb a lot more, um, but it doesn't get as quite as high as a, of a voltage. Okay. So the idea is combine the two and you can get, you know, a lot better efficiencies. This is an area called tandem photovoltaics. Right. This is a highly studied, um, but this area of the conference specifically is dedicated to understanding, not necessarily on an experimental level, but you know perhaps, but also on a computational theoretical level. What are the different types of tandem devices? What are the different ways you can spectrally manage, as mm -hmm. it were, the, the this incident solar spectrum that we get from the sun in order to have the best possible what we call efficiency, right? The, right. the basically the amount of use of light that is incident upon your your device, whatever it is, um, that you can then extract as usable electricity. Right. So where where does your research fall into that? Are you on the like the materials discovery side, making the materials, simulating it? Yeah. Good question. You know, thus far in my PhD, it has been primarily theoretical at first, computational second, and now. I'm kind of entering the third phase of that, which is kind of nice. I get to see it through, mm. which is the experimental fabrication side of it. To be a little bit more specific, um, the types of devices that I'm looking at are very atypical for photovoltaics community. So it's a very specific branch of photovoltaics that, for instance, when I go to PBSC or if I go to this worldwide conference in Hawaii, uh, there are very few other people who care at all about this topic, <laughs> yeah. which I think is both a good and a bad thing. The good is that nobody else is doing it really, um, at least to this application, to this if, in the market niche. Okay. So that is good because that allows a lot of uh, freedom to operate and not a lot of competition. So it, when I talk to people, they're very excited or interested, maybe not excited, interested about <laughs> what this is and how it could be used and why it is competitive. Okay. The bad is when I go to these type of conferences, nobody else does it, so there aren't any other talks. There isn't anybody else that I can really, you know... Exchange ideas. Exchange ideas with or yeah. network with that are within it. And I guess that is kind of a good thing in terms of 
you know, there are people outside of this field. And so oftentimes I think what has been shown in previous work in science, just, you know, in general, is that oftentimes it's people who look from an outside field inward to something that can oftentimes make really interesting or creative or innovative suggestions. That's or, where those you know, yeah big technological leaps can come from. Yeah, combining right. things, the whole right. outside of the box thinking type. Yeah, yeah, and that okay. collaboration across disciplines. And you know, obviously, we're still talking about a very specific discipline, which is namely, you know, uh, these either material science or electrical engineering or you know all the applied physics um, and light management. But it's still even within that field, the topics are so broad that you can oftentimes have really interesting talks and suggestions from other people who are outside of this very niche research that I am doing. Okay, so why hasn't there been overlap before? Is it because it's so niche and is it like a new field or? It's a good question, yeah. it's certainly not a new field. <clears throat> okay. So uh, I, I guess to, to understand that, we have to talk about what I actually do. Sure. Uh, so, um, <laughs> I study and develop models and now actually try to develop, uh, you know, fabrication-wise, these devices. And the devices are called luminescent solar concentrators, or LSCs for short. That's, you know, kind of a long name for these devices, but each of those words basically describes exactly what is going on. So let's start at the end, concentrator. Sure. The concentrator is a device that can take light that in that is incident upon a large area and channel it down to a smaller area that's the simplest definition of a concentrator device the simplest of those for example is a magnifying glass mm. and as a kid you know you <laughs> were playing around with magnifying glasses you discovered that as you you know shine that light um in just a certain way you angle it to the sun all the the rays of light that are incident on this magnifying glass go down to a point and at that point, you actually get a lot of heat, and that's why you had those sadistic kids that would burn ants with the magnifying glass, which right. I that was really kind of creepy. Yep. Not to any a portion of the Didn't. audience, but uh, that, was, that was kind of messed up. Yeah. So that is the simplest uh, you know, device that we have every day. Now, okay. there are other types of concentrators that we use in solar energy, as you can imagine, the most common of which are called geometric concentrators. And you think of these using lenses, right? These systems of lenses, oftentimes a Fresnel lens is what it's called. Again, all that does is channel incident light from the sun to a smaller area and direct it to a solar cell. And that's good, right? We want to decrease the area. Right. And the For materials cost reasons. That's right. And instead of making a larger solar cell, you concentrate the light down that's to a right. smaller. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, going one step beyond that, there are actually some interesting physics behind concentrated light how that actually increases performance, not just because, you know, economically we're using less area and so good for cost, but also because uh, you get some benefits from this concentrated power that is incident upon your solar cell. But, so that's the last word. That's a long explanation to say, I'm in concentrated photovoltaics, but not traditional concentrated like you think of with magnifying glasses. That's where the first word comes into. The middle word, of course, is solar. That makes sense. We're using the sun. That's where solar comes from. So when I said luminescent solar concentrators, we've now covered the, the last two words. And the first word, luminescent, is the most challenging conceptually and actually from a fabrication standpoint part of this entire you know, phrase of what I do. Luminescent refers to the fact that we're concentrating light in a different way. And the way in which we do it is imagine if you had 
just what we say a polymer waveguide, but that's kind of jargony. So instead, just imagine a plastic sheet, mm -hmm. right? So you can picture this in a lot of different ways. You know, picture just like maybe a, a centimeter thick. Mm -hmm. That's pretty thick for us, but just imagine that as this sheet, you know, that you can kind of hold up and look at that is transparent. Now imagine that if I came along and I put within this sheet, I dispersed all these particles. Now they're so small that you can't even see them, uh, at least at the eye level. But what is special about them is that they can absorb light and they absorb the short wavelength high energy light. So again, as we talk about the blue mm -hmm. portion of the spectrum, and then they can re-radiate that light. And what I mean by re-radiate is they simply allow light to be regenerated. They give off light at a longer wavelength. And the reason why it's important that it's a longer wavelength is fundamentally conservation of energy. The concept that you can never get energy from nowhere. In fact, you lose energy if you go from the blue portion of the spectrum to the red. Mm -hmm. And that is because the wavelength of light is longer, i.e. the light is oscillating less rapidly. So where does that energy go, and is it necessarily a bad thing that you're losing that energy? That energy gets lost as heat to the system, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate, but for our purposes, actually okay. And the reason why it's okay leads to the second question, and that question is, well, now you have low energy um, light that is created by these little particles. You know, that is the light that we wanted to actually collect question is, well, isn't that a problem? You're not collecting as much energy as you could if you just captured the, the you know, blue light. And the answer is, it all comes down to how solar cells actually work. And if you have a material, regardless of what energy the, the light is, if the material can absorb it and create an electron hole pair, and by that I mean just an electron that we can extract as current, uh, it's actually, it doesn't matter if you have the high energy light that comes and creates that electron or lower energy light that creates that electron as long as the light that does hit it has enough energy. There's sort of this minimum energy that's required in order to create this electron that you can get as current. So that's a long-winded explanation for this first word luminescent. So you have these particles that are in this plastic mm -hmm. sheet. They absorb high energy light. They re-radiate this other lower energy light and it's that light that within this plastic sheet we trap. Imagine that there's a particle that is, this, you know, we call them photons, this light that's trapped within this waveguide, this plastic mm -hmm. sheet, that bounces around forever within this sheet. And we do that with a couple of optical mechanisms, but imagine you trap this, and the light can actually travel to the very edges of this plastic sheet. And traditionally that is where you place solar cells. So now the really cool part of this is imagine if you just looked at this from a bird's eye view, if you held it up and you looked at it in front of you, mm -hmm. you would just see a plastic sheet and no solar cells. And in fact, if you do it right, you can actually get this entire sheet to be transparent. So these devices, luminescent solar concentrators, are oftentimes considered to be one of the uh, most interesting and sought after applications for something, let's say, power windows, right. where you can have a window that is not just a window, it's actually a solar panel. Right, what so all these multifunctional devices uh, combining transparency with electrical use somehow. That's right, and that, that's kind of the general overview physics-wise of what these devices are. 
What gets back to your question, which originally was, why don't we see these at photovoltaic specialty conferences that much like we didn't in Hawaii? The, the reason is, well, they've been around a while, actually. The first proposed LSC luminescent silver concentrator was in 1973. Mm. It was actually a grant proposal to the NSF that got rejected. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, um, they eventually did get some funding. But, you know, actually the first traces of this idea of using these kind of interesting particles, which we call luminophores, those are the things that absorb and re-radiate the light. The first example of luminophores and waveguides actually came around in the 1950s, okay. um, which was interesting. Did see. Bell Labs have anything to do with that? They, I think they did. <laughs> I mean, they, it's they always a good always guess. Yeah. do something, right? <laughs> Bell Labs is always doing something, yeah. <laughs> back in the day at least. So, yeah. Uh, they've been around a long time, so it's not, but the fact that these aren't seen a lot isn't by virtue of the fact that they haven't been around a long time. It is instead that they've shown very limited performance. So by performance, I of course mean the ability for them to actually capture sunlight and transform it to usable electricity, which we call efficiency, which we defined earlier. Right. So these aren't that efficient traditionally, and they, as a result of which, haven't seen a lot of interest because, you know, people are more intrigued by high efficiency concepts, right? Sure. Trying to get as much bang for your buck, which makes a lot of sense. So I suppose the obvious question is then uh, just why are these so inefficient? The most fundamental reason, uh, which uh, is, is fairly obvious, I think, Chris, I don't know, maybe I've been in it too long, but these luminophores, as I told, uh, really only capture the high energy photons, right? The high energy light. So what about the rest of that region? Okay, yeah, you're absorbing the high energy and then you're re-rating it as longer wavelength. But what about that longer wavelength in general? Mm -hmm. It just passes through this entire device and that's why it looks transparent because a lot of the light isn't absorbed. So that's why you can use these as windows is because a significant portion of the light just transmits through this entire device but as you'd imagine, that doesn't make for a very good solar cell. Right. You want to capture as much light as you can, which is weird because this doesn't. This only captures a portion of it. Right. So, so is there the possibility then of, of stacking this sort of waveguide with aluminophores on top of a solar cell, a more traditional solar cell then? <laughs> yes, indeed, Sebastian. <laughs> Making Sounds a great, like a project a that you're maybe... Okay, yeah. Into, uh, yeah, what my PhD is actually on, Okay. which is... Not necessarily scrapping that whole you know power window idea because we are also sure. working on that, sure. but instead to refocus LSCs, <laughs> refocus yeah. if you will. Pun. <laughs> There's the pun of, There's the, the, pun the, episode, of yeah. the episode. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So so to transition these not as standalone power windows, but instead to exactly as you said to basically imagine putting this plastic sheet directly on top of an already existing solar cell. And what type of solar cell? The most common of all, silicon solar cells. There you go. Now, there are a lot of different types of silicon solar cells that we don't necessarily need to get into. The only important thing that we need to know about silicon is the fact that it can absorb a lot of light. Because the, that kind of level, that minimum level for energy that the uh, that silicon needs to absorb light is very low. Right. So the LSC, this luminous solar concentrator, is plastic sheet that we put on top of the silicon, that absorbs a high energy light, which is good 
because silicon is actually very poor at transforming this high energy light into usable electricity. There's a lot of heat loss still again. With that. There's a ton of heat loss. Right. So instead we channel this high energy light to our LSC and we let the rest of the light that normally just passes through this LSC to just hit this you know, silicon cell that lies underneath it. Okay. Yeah, so, so hence why you're device. in the, the tandem section of the, the talks. That's okay. right. Yeah, okay. the spectral shaping, yeah. exactly, which relates to tandem devices, which is where I spoke. That's exactly why okay. I am in that portion of it. Cool. Yeah. Are, is there a chance that you want to look at <clears throat> different types of luminophores? I, I'm unfamiliar with this, but ones that absorb in a different wavelength regime as well. And, and then a second portion of that question is, when you say that they re-radiate the light, um, is that directional? And could you then direct light to different different areas? Yes, both amazing questions and both actually were the subject of my talk, the first question okay. you asked, and then the second question you asked relates to my colleague Haley Bowser, who is a PhD candidate as well at Caltech, who is working on the project with mm -hmm. me. So it's interesting you asked both those questions because those are kind of the big tough questions yeah. for these devices. So hard-hitting journalism hard on hitting pod journalism. quest here. Here we go. Yeah. Pod quest for the win. Yeah. So, yeah. so first question relates to exploring other types of luminophores, these, mm. these particles that absorb light. Because as you can imagine, you want to have a kind of balance, right, where you absorb as, the, as much light as you can without preventing the silicon from doing anything. Um, and that is exactly what I explored in a computational uh, paper uh, of which relates to this talk that okay. I gave in Hawaii. So the idea is how far can you push this absorption into lower energy wavelengths of light, um, sorry, lower energy of light, i.e. longer wavelengths of light, how far can you push this absorption band um, to see maximum uh, efficiency? And the answer is you want to push this absorption as far as you can up until the point where you, the photoluminescence, i.e. the light at which is re-radiated by these luminophores, um, up to the point where this goes beyond what the solar cell that's matched in this mm -hmm. luminescent solar concentrator can absorb. So to be a little more clear on that, I first have to explain the typical luminophore. So a basic luminophore, as I said, absorbs high energy light, and as I said, re-radiates longer, lower lo longer wavelength, lower energy light. Now you can imagine that there's a distinct separation between those two. So picture in your mind, uh, you know, this luminophore absorbs the blue light. The blue light extends to put a number on it up to around 500, 530 nanometers of light. Um, this is really rough, but it, so imagine you're absorbing 300 to 500 nanometer light. It re-radiates that light at around 630 nanometers, which is in the red. So it stops absorbing in the blue and it starts emitting in the red. So there's a separation, you know, the separation of around 100 nanometers of wavelength of light, of which you don't get any absorption and there's no photoluminescence. Now, you may ask, well, why do you want that separation? Wouldn't it be better just to have the photoluminescence directly mm -hmm. near the absorption? 
Now, you don't want that. The reason is the photoluminescence, this, this you know, what the, the luminophore V radiates isn't just at one wavelength. It's okay. spread out mm. over this kind of spectral profile which has this kind of width to it. And the width you can kind of tune, but you can never get to be a perfect a single, single right. you know, Initial slit, line, if yeah. you will, which we, you know, <laughs> fancily call a Dirac Delta. You can't get that. The reason is, uh, is because you will always have impurities in the luminophore particles. So while an individual luminophore could, theoretically, re-radiate light at a single wavelength, because you just don't have one, you have you know, moles of these things, which right. is a very large number, right. uh, you get this spread, the statistical spread. It's pretty unavoidable. So because you get this spread, you don't want to put the photoluminescence directly near the absorption band, because what could happen is the photoluminescence and absorption would overlap. Mm. Meaning, let's say light is absorbed, luminesced by these particles. If it's close to the absorption band, this free radiation, then you could actually get secondary reabsorption, mm. which actually could decrease your performance overall because there's an opportunity for the photon to become lost as heat. Mm -hmm. So with that, you need this separation, which we term the Stokes shift. So using the Stokes shift, we kind of analyze how far to the absorption we can actually go before this photoluminescence extends to energies that are lower than the minimum value that our solar cell can absorb at. And you can, right. you can kind of tune uh, your, there's two ways to do it. You can tune your luminophore to the solar cell that you're using in this LSC, or you can uh, tune the solar cell to your luminophore that you're using. Right. For us, we want to use the former. We want to have a very high efficiency, what are called 3-5 solar cells. Basically, they're very pure materials that can that, that exhibit very large voltages, but can again only collect at higher energies. Uh, we want to tune the luminophore to that. So that is the first uh, answer to the question of can you tune luminophores? Answer, short answer. Finally, we get to it is yes, you can, and yes, we have. <laughs> mm. Second question relates to these luminophores, and you know we mentioned that they radiate light. The question is, well, how do they re-radiate that light? And that's a really interesting question, and it actually depends upon the luminophore. So there are a lot of types. When I say luminophore, I'm being very general. The most common, at least what I would consider common for general audience, is called a quantum dot. And why I consider that common is because they're starting to become televisions. So you can actually buy, you go to Best Buy or you know, just order from Amazon like everyone else does. <laughs> yeah. You can actually uh, No one wants to actually talk to someone wants to talk to people. No, that's, that's crazy. We're talking. Right, exactly. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, you can you actually buy sure. televisions these days that are made from these quantum dots, and you may not know what a quantum dot is, mm. but they are very common in the tech world today, which is interesting. Quantum dot is exactly what we have just described as a luminophore absorbs high energy light and re-radiates at a different lower energy, longer wavelength light. Okay, so uh, quantum dots do re-radiate light isotropically, meaning in all directions mm -hmm. equally. There aren't uh, all, so not every type of luminophore has to have this type of radiation feature. In fact, there are other ones that are called quantum rods, which 
are exactly as they sound. They're just these you know, kind of cylindrical uh, uh, you know, particles that are very tiny. Particles is the wrong world, wrong word, but they are very uh, you know, thin. Their radius is on the order of nanometers, and they're just these rod features. And because they have this cylindrical geometry, they actually do re-radiate light anisotropically, meaning not in all So directionally, yeah, exactly. single direction. And ultimately, we would want to use something that has anisotropic emission or re-radiation. And the reason we want that is because the primary mechanism for actually trapping this light within this sheet, this waveguide, if you will, is through a principle called total internal reflection, which, again, for general users, uh, basically, if you're looking at a plastic sheet and you have air that surrounds it, you can actually trap the light just by virtue of the fact that if the light is re-radiated at such a large angle relative to normal incidence, imagine now that the light that is re-radiated is in a direction that's almost parallel to the waveguide surface, it actually can bounce around within here and be unable to ex escape. Uh, the idea is, is actually pretty simple if you compare it to um, one of my favorite little you know, analogies, which is skipping stones. Mm. So if, if you imagine going to a beach or a lake and you wanted to skip some stones, because maybe a awesome. beach in Hawaii, maybe a <laughs> beach in Hawaii, which we did. <laughs> if, if you try to skip a stone and you throw it you know, 90 degrees at it, you know, so you're literally throwing it downward, the stone isn't going to bounce back up off of the surface of the water. That makes no sense, and you know, intuitively, that would never happen. And in fact, even if you go to, to angles that are not 90 degrees, but are still pretty, pretty uh, you know, large, um, the stone's not going to skip. So as any you know, seasoned stone skipper knows, <laughs> you need to really uh, get pretty parallel to the water and then throw it. And when you do that, the angle of incidence is so far off 90 degrees that it can then reflect back off the surface of the water and then skip ideally a bunch of times. And so these, th this is how uh, like fiber optics works then in that order is exactly to right. yeah, send the signals. Right? Yep, yeah, exactly, exactly. So all the Google fiber that you know, right. everybody wants to get <laughs> to their city. Yeah. It's, and and th that's why it, it's so good is because it's light that is trapped within this, this fiber cable. So instead of dealing with speeds of electrons um, or you don't have in these wireless connections, you literally have the speed of light delivered to you. Yep, just bouncing off the surface of the those cable, those waveguides, I guess you can also call those. That's in, yeah. indeed. Okay. okay, so long way to say that yes, we do want anisotropy because mm -hmm. that could increase the concentration, and it would. But unfortunately, these quantum dots, those are what we use in this study. Um, unfortunately, they have isotropic emission. Mm. So... The question is, well, isn't that worse? When you want something with this anisotropic emission profile? And short answer is, you do, but they're not as efficient. Efficiency here, I'm talking about the how good this luminophore is at absorbing light and then re-radiating the light. Basically, okay. the odds of that re-radiation actually happening. Because a certain amount of the light would actually, can actually get uh, just lost as heat. So okay. we're always trying to fight heat. We're always trying to fight the second law of thermodynamics, which states right. entropy is always going to increase, which relates to heat. And that's unfortunate. I hate the second law. But <laughs> it's like the most useful law <laughs> ever. But uh, 
So we're, we're always trying to fight that. So these anisotropic emission you know, particles, these rods or other types of structures, you know, there are some organic molecules you can actually use as dyes. Um, some of them have anisotropy, but the problem is they're pretty inefficient overall mm. in terms of this re-radiation. So with dots, we've actually experimentally shown world record. Like, uh, our partners at Berkeley actually have the world record in the efficiency, which is 99.9 .9 plus or minus 0.1. Wow. Yeah. I think they may have added another nine <laughs> in like sure. the past month, but like that's crazy. And it may sound overkill to see like how many nines you can get. Like, wow, ninety-nine percent. What's the difference between ninety-nine, ninety-nine point nine? It's actually a huge difference if you consider the fact that you're trapping this light within this waveguide, and there are a lot of opportunities for the light to become reabsorbed, even with the fact that you have this stoke shift, this separation. Right. So, this that's that's the answer to the second question, which sure. is we ideally would have this directional emission profile. Yeah. Unfortunately, with this, we don't. Yeah. Because it's this question of what do you sacrifice? The right. you know, fact that you have isotropy or the fact that you don't have good quantum yields, right. i.e. efficiency. So I guess you want as high a flux as possible of, of light coming out, and then you'll deal yeah. with what you get. You'll deal with what you yeah. get, that's right. right. And there are certain strategies to, cr to make right. that flux of light higher yeah which is what we do yeah. yeah okay so now you're moving into the phase of actually fabricating so mm -hmm. all this work has been done very heavy simulation optics work yeah uh, and so now I'm moving into the lab and that's a lot of a lot of chemistry a lot oh, of unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've been chemistry since high school oh man yeah that's, that's brutal. fun that's fun <laughs> But okay, so what? Uh, I guess what? Where does this story story kind of go to? What What would you like to see the outcome? As? Yes, good question. So we have moved, as Sebastian said, into the lab. We're actually doing real things now. <laughs> and the first step was really validating all the models that we that you know we've coded up, and or either coded up or you know blackboarded it up. <laughs> and the good news is we've passed that stage. So I've shown validation for both models that I've generated, which, as I said, one is like a heavy computational one. The other one's actually very, what do we call, closed form. So you deal with uh, equations and you literally use those equations to predict performance. So we've shown validity for both of those experimentally. And that's a huge milestone for us because for a while, you know, for general audiences here, uh, you, you, you make these models on your computer or you write them down as equations and you have no idea if they're actually going to work. <laughs> and it's really unnerving because for the past year and a half, that was what I have been doing. The first year and a half of my PhD was spent to making these models. And if they didn't work, if they didn't actually replicate what mm -hmm. is going on in reality, that's just terrible. That's a yeah. waste. Not yeah. a waste necessarily, but There's it still certainly some learnings. is yeah. Yeah. You know, disheartening to sure. see that what you're doing actually doesn't capture what is going to happen in reality. Right. So we have shown validity. So we'll check that box off as we can move on. Now that we've shown that, the next question, the next part of this is really to fabricate uh, these devices in a way that we can get high efficiency, specifically these tandem devices with this LSC on top of an already existing silicon subcell. So where we are in that is, you know, if it was a relationship status, it would be it's complicated because <laughs> it is really complicated. Primarily because it's, this isn't just Caltech doing the work. 
This is a collaboration that extends across four different institutions, Caltech being one of them, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign being another one. They are particularly skilled in the um, waveguide fabrication, i.e. creating you know, to, um, with methods that could be you know, used as high volume manufacturing, creating these sheets, these plastic sheets with these waveguide, these quantum dots within them. We have partners at University of California, Berkeley, and the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, which they're very good at creating the really high efficiency quantum dots, which is absolutely necessary. And then finally, we have partners at NREL, which is the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, and they, John Geis specifically, is just a wizard at creating <laughs> high efficiency 3-5 cells, namely, for us, indium gallium phosphide. Kind of a mouthful for people who aren't yeah. used to those type in of gap. cells yeah. in gap, as we call it. But it's just a very high efficiency, very pure uh, three five solar cell that we're working with, with a uh, high voltage. Basically, is, right. is why we're using it. So across all those institutions, they all need to do their separate bit, right? And Caltech, we're really responsible for first off all the modeling. Mm -hmm. So check. Uh, actually creating optics to further trap that light, i.e. increase that flux, mm -hmm. and then to put it all together and do actual testing. And so they all have to come together and they all have to deliver their specific components to us so that we can create a master device and do testing on it. And so it's really difficult because you know each team has certain uh, hurdles that they come up against. And when that happens, the others still work but it delays the process and the fabrication of the overall module. So right now we're in a place where in the next, I would say month to two months, we'll actually have a full made uh, prototype ready to go oh, wow. yeah. on the uh, four centimeter scale, squared scale. <laughs> That's massive. Say, yeah. Which is, That's actually, sounds yeah. tiny to <laughs> normal day people, but it's sure. huge. Yeah. For solar cells, so right. solar cells are typically made on the order of maybe a centimeter squared, right. where you have a centimeter by a centimeter. People do these, you know, really in-depth light IV tests and all these measurements uh, to determine the efficiency of these cells, but they're tiny, and that's not what you'll see. So the original, we actually the first prototype we made was a hundred centimeters squared, which is huge. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We now are going down to much smaller sizes. We wanted to see if we could, and we we can, but. Um, we're going down to much smaller sizes because then we'll have more careful control of where the light goes. And this is important. It's important to note that this is on a lab scale. This isn't for manufacturing yet. Mm -hmm. So because this is on a lab scale, all we need to do is show a proof of concept. Proof of concept meaning we just need to show that we can get high efficiencies out for this type of device. Furthermore, that when we do get these high efficiencies out over a long period of time, this performance is maintained. So those are really the two important goals, end goals at least, for this project. And we want to do it at that scale. Because we aren't IBM, we're not <laughs> 3M, we're not all these M's where you can just mass manufacture these things and you have a team of a thousand engineers working on it. It's literally me and two other grad students at Caltech yeah. who are trying to weasel out all these different <laughs> like aspects of this project to try and make it work. And literally going, and you know by hand stacking these things together to see if it'll work so certainly we're, we're not you know trained engineers we're, we're trained scientists but yeah. that is distinctly different from engineers sure 
So yeah. yeah. So so that's where we are on the fabrication side. Um, one cool aspect I'd say I give a shout out to this project <laughs> is that we're not only looking to test these in lab. A significant portion of our interest is actually taking them to NREL, uh, the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in Colorado, which is where I'm from, which is the best state, <laughs> um, and actually testing these outdoors to see how they hold up in varying, you know. Uh, cloudy conditions and weather and all sorts of some damp heat testing that's or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of you know what we want to show in the end. Okay. And then if this is a big if, if it all works, which oftentimes it well you know oftentimes <laughs> sure. in science it never does, but you know you have to be optimistic. Not too optimistic, I guess, but a certain level. <laughs> um, we really want to transition this technology to the energy market if we can. So that wow. is the ultimate goal. Okay. Yeah. So you have a lot on your plate coming up then, but that's exciting. That's yes. really exciting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Great. Well, I have so many more questions, uh, but I think we can maybe cut it off there for our audience, whoever is remaining. <laughs> I don't know the difference yes. between who started and who is who <laughs> checked out <laughs> half an hour ago. But uh, yeah, thank you so much, David, for your time. And uh, yeah, it's awesome hearing about your work. Thanks again for coming in and talking to us here. Yes, thanks so much. So that's that. That's our episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, PodQuest is a project by the graduate students of the Quest ERC. For more information on Quest, visit quest.asu.edu. That's Q-E-S-S-T Quest is funded by the National Science Foundation and the U.S. Department of Energy. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this material are those of the authors only and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Science Foundation or the Department of Energy. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you next time.